Sewer Ninjas is dedicated to solving your home sewer issues with the latest no-dig sewer repair technology to minimize cost and disruption. They can repair your sewer lateral line with minimal intrusion, saving you thousands. When you need help, turn to the drain and sewer experts for Milwaukee and the surrounding communities. Give Sewer Ninjas a call, 414-250-8605. Once again, that's 414-250-8605. Find out more at SewerNinjas.com. For a reliable, locally owned and operated auto body shop, turn to Mako Auto Body Shop and Painting in New Berlin. They fix routine dents and dings along with structural repairs. If your car has been damaged in an accident, you can count on their expertly trained technicians to provide high-quality work. Plus, all structural repairs are backed by a lifetime warranty. Go to Mako.com for more information that's Mako of New Berlin. Super Bowl 58 is in the books. We're going to cover everything from the game to halftime to the commercials. All of that is coming up along with some hoop talk with the Bucks, the Badgers, and Marquette. It's all next. It's the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas and driven by Mako of New Berlin. Let's go. Oh! But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Sports Podcast, presented by Sewer Ninjas and driven by Mako of New Berlin. I'm Don Wachillas. Thank you so much, as always, for logging in, joining us on this episode as we'll get our way through Super Bowl 58 and then talk a little hoops as the Bucks start making their way towards the All-Star break. Wisconsin is just a hot mess right now. They've got a, a really, really important home game tomorrow night against Ohio State at the Kohl Center. And Marquette continues to roll. And we'll get to all of that as we make our way through. Please hit that like and subscribe button. Tell us uh, how things are going here with the podcast. We would definitely appreciate it. So we start with the Super Bowl. Uh, it was one for the ages. It had everything you could imagine. Obviously, it goes to overtime. There is plenty to talk about within the game itself. Vegas showed out. The stars were all there more than just Taylor Swift. Um, it, it was everything I think the NFL could have hoped for and gotten out of having the game in Sin City, in the entertainment capital of the world. And with everything that was said, it was the Chiefs, who now many are starting to talk about a dynasty, winning in overtime 25-22 to 22 over the San Francisco 49ers. Patrick Mahomes is your MVP, his third career Super Bowl MVP. That's wild to think about the fact that Patrick Mahomes is in only his seventh year, and he's got three 
Super Bowl MVPs. He was absolutely the reason behind, along with that Kansas City Chief defense, of getting that thing turned around in the second half for the Chiefs. The Niners dominating essentially the first two quarters. That was a team that was, as my old high school coach would say, was flying around with reckless abandon. That team was fast. That team was laying some wood on people. They were knocking people over. They were putting pads to pads. They were playing football almost old school style. Like they were, they were dominating the Kansas City Chiefs in that first half. The difference with the Super Bowl is the fact that when you get to halftime because of the entertainment aspect, and you'll hear more than one NFL player talk about it in this fashion for those who have gotten to a Super Bowl, that really what you have is two games. You have the first half, and then you have the second half because the downtime is much lengthier than what you have in a normal regular season game. So coaches have time to make adjustments. Players have time to kind of reset, so to speak. And the Chiefs, having the experience that they have with Super Bowls, just in general, I think came out in that second half much more adept. I think it took the 49ers a bit of the third quarter to kind of recollect themselves and get back into the mix. If you look at one point in the third quarter, the 49ers on two different possessions threw the ball six times in a row and got away from their running game. McCaffrey was special in that first half. I know he had a fumble on the opening drive, but he was special. And once they got back to that running game, all of a sudden what we got as fans was a hell of a football game going down the back end and then, of course, into overtime. One thing we do have to say, can we now put the Brock Purdy thing to rest? The whole he's a game manager if he loses this game, what will this mean for his next contract? What will happen to Brock Purdy if he wins? Will he be elevated and get one of these $40 million you know, monstrosities as far as the contract goes in the coming years? Brock Purdy was not the reason the 49ers lost yesterday. In my opinion, and I'm going to get back to Brock here in a minute, so we'll take the off-ramp for a quick moment. The reason the 49ers lost yesterday was turnovers. Again, McCaffrey, that opening drive. Think if the 49ers score the way they were marching down the field. And I think in the way they were marching down the field, we weren't looking at a field goal. We'll never know. I'm speculating. Hindsight, get it. But it was a situation where if they go up 7 nothing, and the way the Chiefs were playing, I think that's a completely different paradigm moving forward with quarters 2, 3, and 4. But the fumble gives the Chiefs the ball back, and then we get a little bit of a stalemate, and we go zeros at the end of you know the first 15. That turnover was key. The punt, which was, I, in my mind, it was unfortunate. You can, you can have the returner screaming and yelling, but in the midst of all of the hubbub that's going on on the field in the stands, I don't know if that voice is going to be as clear as it might be during a regular season game trying to tell you to get out of the way. He's engaged uh, blocking, thinking the return is on. The ball hits him in the leg, pinballs around a little bit. Next thing you know, KC falls on it. 
that play there was costly for the 49ers. And then the most costly was the extra point, the missed extra point, the block missed extra point. That there gave the Chiefs an opportunity to kick a field goal and tie. They didn't have to go for the touchdown. They could tie and then take that thing to overtime and take their chances there. In each of those three scenarios I just described, it had nothing to do with Brock Purdy. And yet the world was worried about, can Brock Purdy handle the moment? Can Brock Purdy be that quarterback? I don't understand why sometimes in the media, and it's happening now with Kansas City, because Kansas City is going, even though we're talking about the Chiefs having a dynasty, much like the Patriots had, we love to build people up, and then we love to tear people down. And Brock Purdy, what has he done? Here's a guy who, again, we all know he's Mr. Irrelevant, last pick in the draft, gets thrust into the starting lineup last year due to injury, And the only time he's relinquished that starting position, that that being QB1, is when he himself was injured. You got to remember, he went through surgery and a whole bunch of rehab in the offseason to make sure he was ready to roll once week one came about for this season that just ended. He's done nothing but prove to people that he's ready. And he did it again yesterday. Were his numbers anything that might, I don't know, you know, cause people to to say he's the next Joe Montana? Probably not. But he went 12 of 19, 131 yards. And yet the key to me in all of that, whatever stat you want to look at, is that he was blitzed on 51.2% of his dropbacks. The Chiefs were coming after him, and he handled it. And yes, there were times towards the end you saw because of the blitz, he throws it into the corner of the end zone and he had to release it a little bit too early and that caused an incompletion because the receiver didn't have an opportunity to get in position to make a play. That's on the defense, but he didn't throw an interception. He didn't take a sack and put them out of potential field goal range. He handled himself like a champ yesterday. So let's put the Brock Purdy thing to bed. The kid can play. He's not a system. Who isn't a system quarterback? Who's not a system quarterback? Justin Fields in Chicago, all I keep hearing about is if the coaches would tailor their system for him. Well, the 49ers found a QB who fits. There's Everybody's got a system. What in God's name is a system quarterback? All right, I had I had to get that off my chest. And the fact that, again, it's this idea we love to build people up. Purdy the same way. Mr. Irrelevant, what a great story, what a great story. And then all of a sudden this year, the narrative starts to turn. We want to start knocking them down a little bit because the media loves when we can build them up and then tear them down. And then what do we get from that? We love a comeback story so we can build that individual back up. And now the Chiefs are getting ready to go through the same thing. So we already hear this morning the discussions everywhere about Patrick Mahomes. Is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time? Will he surpass Brady? Can we just enjoy the moment? Can we let the Chiefs just enjoy the moment? Whether you like him or not, I I understand. That's part of being a fan. But can we just enjoy the moment? Stop and think about 
even, let's say, Bart Starr, legendary Green Bay Packer quarterback in the 60s, if Bart Starr had the ability to have the training, uh, the nutrition, all of the things that are privy to these players today, Bart Starr was an incredibly gifted quarterback. Think of how much better he would be. Enjoy the moment. Stop comparing. Already this morning, I hear, well, I think, you know, Patrick Mahomes is better than Joe Montana. Okay, that's fine. But think about Joe Montana in his era. Think about all of the players, regardless of the sport. Think about what they would be in different eras based upon what we know now. Think about Max McGee in Super Bowl I being the hero, making catches, going out the night before and getting obliterated as sitting at a bar. Think if Max went to a speed camp and had training 365 days a year and what his skill set could have been. It's a different era. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact now that you have a Patrick Mahomes who is, as I heard Damian Woody on ESPN this morning describe it, he's in his Jordan era. He absolutely is. You know, when Jordan was in the midst of winning his six championships, think about some of the teams he beat. You know, you had Clyde Drexler in Portland. That was a good team. You had the Utah Jazz with Malone and Stockton. That was a good team. And yet Jordan found ways to win, which is why he's the owner of six championship rings. Patrick Mahomes is very similar. This incarnation of the Kansas City Chiefs was not a dominant one. But what do they have? You have Patrick Mahomes and you have Andy Reid. Think about the fact that Tom Brady winning all of those championships with the exception of one was done with the same head coach. Patrick Mahomes right now is winning championships with the same head coach. That continuity is something that I don't think people, well, I think they understand it. I think sometimes you underestimate it, especially when you're looking at an offense. For a quarterback not to have to change what the offensive scheme is year after year. I brought in Justin Fields before. How many different coaches, offensive coordinators go down the line as he had to deal with and adjust since coming into the league? Think about a number of good quarterbacks out there who have had to go through the same thing. That lack of continuity on the offensive side of the ball is critical. And it's crucial for a Patrick Mahomes, a Jordan Love, you can go right down the line of whoever, a Brock Purdy. If they've got that continuity, they have an opportunity to succeed because they're not always having to relearn something new or the culture is changing, the scheme is changing, go right down the line. But Patrick Mahomes was something special yesterday. Again, three MVPs now as far as the Super Bowl goes for that quarterback. Halftime. What'd you think? I was okay. And I like Usher. I thought it was okay. You know, I, I've seen some people online who, who absolutely loved it. And it, it's it's an opinion thing. It's it's not whether some it's not a right or wrong. It's you sat back, you watched, if you enjoyed it, great. If you were kind of eh, okay. It's okay. You can still be an Usher fan and go, eh, I'm not so sure about that one. And yesterday I was kind of, eh, I'm not so sure about that one. And it, what, it, what made me unsure about it was how it began. The whole on-field thing with some of the songs that Usher performed in, in his first two or three there, that little medley, B-52, 
being on the field, I don't think it transmitted, at least for me, on television. I don't know what it did in person, but for me on television, I don't think it had the effect that they were going for. When he finally ascended to the stage and Alicia Keys was there, and then you bring in Luda and Lil John and all of that, then I think it kind of it picked up. Wasn't quite sure about the way they capped off the final song, but again, it wasn't terrible in its preference. So take from it what you will. If I had to grade it, eh, I'd give it a C plus. It was okay. It wasn't the greatest, but he's an incredibly talented entertainer. And if you see him live, puts on a heck of a show. It just, again, for me, in that opening sequence, I don't think it transmitted uh, the way I thought they had intended. And then we go to commercials. The, the One of the things, especially when you don't have an iron in the fire, like if the Packers are in it, I'm, I'm commercials are like when you take your break. It's like a water break for a fan, right? Because you're, you're so invested in the game. Yesterday, when, well, as, as I'm putting this podcast for this week together, during the Super Bowl yesterday, the commercials play is an important role as the game itself because I really didn't have an iron in the fire, so to speak. Completely disappointed. Completely disappointed. Duncan nailed it. The whole Ben Affleck, Matt Damon, uh, Tom Brady's on there, J-Lo. That one, to me, won whatever award they might give out as far as Super Bowl commercials go. Enjoyed that one. The Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, where they're putting caramel on the top, and it was you know people jumping in and out of windows. It was strange, but strangely okay for lack of a better way of saying it. I kind of I kind of was okay with that. And then the Doritos one, and I, I can't pronounce the name off the top of my head right now. I maybe should have done a better job, but where the grandmas come crashing in on the car and their scooters and chasing down that bag of Doritos and the, the young ladies looking for her grandmas in the grocery store, that I thought was, was fairly good. But the rest of them, some of those home.com ones were just, there, there was a level of bizarreness yesterday with the commercials that I'm not quite sure I appreciated. Maybe others did. Maybe others saw the commercials completely different than what I did. But I liked those three, and the rest I just kind of, I was almost disappointed because the commercials play, again, is an important of a role in the Super Bowl as anything else, and I just thought it was okay. So Super Bowl 58 in the books. The Chiefs come away with back-to-back now champions. They have an opportunity to go for a three-peat. So if you thought the villain label was on this Chiefs team coming down the back end of this season, wait till next. That, That team right there, they will be front and center of everyone's hit list of who they want to knock off, and the Chiefs are gonna are gonna have to kind of weather the storm. And that's what they did this year. When you think back, the Chiefs were not as dominant as they've been in years past. This team has got good players, but in key positions, they're not as dominant as they were. But you go on the road and you win at Buffalo and you go on the road and you win at Baltimore. And then, of course, you're on the road when it comes to the Super Bowl. This team had a level of resilience that you just you couldn't match anyone. No one out there in the NFL this year could match. And that's one of the reasons why they came away with Super Bowl 58. All right. So that's in the books. We can start now waiting for uh, 
the UFL. We get a little spring football coming up, but before you know it, in a blink of an eye, we'll get free agency and the draft, and then all of a sudden it's rookies report to camp, and in a blink of an eye, we're going to be talking about and getting ready for the upcoming NFL season. But here on the podcast, we're going to take a quick break, and on the other side of the break, let's talk some hoops. We've got Bucks, Badgers, Golden Eagles, all set to go, and we'll do it in just a minute. Get back into it and talk some hoops here in the 414. We'll get into obviously Wisconsin and Marquette in just a moment. But we start with the Milwaukee Bucks, who have a tough stretch here as far as competition goes before we get to the all-star break. As we put this podcast together, the Nuggets are in town. They'll be taking on the Bucks tonight at Pfizer Forum. And then the Heat come into town tomorrow. So you get the Nuggets and the Heat back-to-back. And then on Thursday, the Bucks will travel to Memphis to take on the Grizzlies. Again, all leading into All-Star festivities, which will be held down in Indianapolis. Now, this Bucks team, since Doc Rivers being hired as the head coach, we've seen flashes of, I'll dare say, greatness. Uh, the last time on the floor, the Bucks beat the Hornets 120-84. to But we've also seen them lose to the likes of the Timberwolves, who are not a slouch by any means. The Timberwolves this year are a good team, but dropping one, 129-105. And we knew going into this stretch before the All-Star break, this is where Doc was going to have to put on his lab coat, get into the lab, and start figuring some things out because as much as I hate to see a coach get fired because what it means for the family and the assistant coaches and everything that surrounds uh, a team when something like that happens, it was necessary. And you can see the fact that right now Doc Rivers is trying to put some schemes together with Dame and Giannis trying to do some things defensively with this team that there has to be given a bit of a learning curve for them to adapt and accept. You've had a team that played the better part of the first half of the season with a different coach and a coach, at least outwardly looking in kind of felt like he just rolled the ball out and said, guys, here's what we're going to do because there's enough clips out there to watch how this team being the Milwaukee Bucks felt disengaged when Adrian Griffin was talking to him. And now you've got somebody who's got the credibility, even though nationally I know Doc Rivers gets hounded a lot because you know he's faltered a bit, much like Kyle Shanahan in big games. But he's been there. And again, as Doc said coming into this, I don't necessarily have to build culture. He's going to have to tweak the culture, but he doesn't have to build it. It's more about the X's and O's. And so once Dame and Giannis and Brooke and Chris and all of these guys not only buy in but understand what is happening, when Doc gives them the why, this is why we're doing it this way, and they accept and and internalize that, this Bucs team has got way too much talent. And I know the Celtics are good. 
I know there's a lot of good teams. Denver's good. Again, they come into town tonight. There are a lot of good teams in the NBA. But I think you'd be hard-pressed on paper to look at a team like the Bucs with the depth that they have to have two Hall of Famers on the floor in Giannis and Dame. I dare people to look around the league and find a team with more depth. The crazy part is, maybe it's the Clippers. I didn't think I would say that. But Ty Lue is a heck of a coach, and he's got that team playing very well. But outside of the Clippers, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to find a team with more depth than the Milwaukee Bucks. So, yes, it's been a bit of an up-and-down ride. And, yes, as soon as, again, you start to lose a few games, you're going to get your detractors. But I simply think it's more of a matter of, We'll talk with our NBA insider and get his take. I don't want to bother him on a Monday morning. I'm sure the hangover is real after yesterday's Super Bowl, right? A couple of things as well, that being with uh, not free agency per se, but the fact that now you've got players after the trade deadline that will clear waivers. And in clearing waivers, what that means for the Milwaukee Bucks. And what that means for the Milwaukee Bucks is you've got guys like C.D. Osman from the Spurs or Daniel House for the Pistons, Otto Porter Jr., Furkan Korkmaz of uh, Indiana, Wes Matthews from the Atlanta Hawks. You've got players out there now that you can bring in once they've cleared waivers. I Personally, I would like to see Wes Matthews back. I think Wes Matthews back on this team would add a dynamic that uh, the Bucks could use. And it's a, it's a guy who obviously knows the town, knows the system, knows the culture, everything else. I think it would be a good addition, so we'll have to wait and see. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump to the college side of hoops, and we'll do that in just a moment. basketball here in the state of Wisconsin. We start with Wisconsin Badgers. Oh my. After that second half against Nebraska, this team has completely unraveled over the last few games. And I mean completely unraveled. The way the Badgers are playing basketball right now is unlike anything that I can remember a team with the talent that they have going through the spurt that they're now going through. Teams go through these where you lose two, you may lose three, but to lose in the fashion that they're losing with the way this team began this season is almost unconscionable. And I hearken it to watching uh, Minnesota and Iowa prior to the Super Bowl. Iowa trailing by as much as 18 And then Minnesota and Iowa come back after halftime and it becomes a complete role reversal where Iowa storms all the way back and they get the win at home. And at one point down the stretch on the Big Ten Network, the statement was made, 
Minnesota can't let this last 20 minutes dictate the next 40 minutes because now they've got to go and play Purdue. And that's exactly what's happened, unfortunately, to the Wisconsin Badgers. The last 20 minutes of that Nebraska game, in which they completely unraveled and lost, has dictated now the losing that we're seeing. You played tough against Purdue. I mean, my goodness, you held Zach Eady fairly in check. He finished with 18, but he got most of those down the stretch. Zach Eady, I don't think, got his first basket until inside of five minutes of the opening half. Like, they did what they needed to do. But this Badger team has lost its nerve, its confidence when it comes to shooting. No one is stepping up. Connor Asijan did the other day against Rutgers, which was nice to see, but the efficiency wasn't there. I mean, he had points, but he wasn't efficient. I mean, there were a lot of misses. This team right now, you know, really relied on people stepping in like any team does. When one person is struggling, somebody steps in. When A.J. Storr isn't making his shots, Connor Asijan steps in. Or Max Klesmet steps in. Or Stephen Crawl steps. Where has Stephen Crawl been? He put him on a milk carton, somebody. Like, the unraveling that has taken place because of what happened in the last 20 minutes against Nebraska is almost becoming disheartening. And Greg Gard's got his work cut out trying to figure out how to right the ship, how to grab a hold of the steering wheel and get this thing moving in the right direction once again. And it starts for the Badgers. It's simple. Stop turning the ball over. The Badger team at one point, and I don't know if this has because I think you might be able to hear the quality of the sound a podcast today is that the uh, fine computer made by the uh, company who puts a piece of fruit on its label uh, is acting up a little bit. But if I'm not mistaken, they had more turnovers than shots in the first half against Rutgers. Suddenly, the Badgers can't control the basketball. And if you listen to the game on the radio between Matt LaPay and Brian Butch, who do such a good job, you hear the frustration in their call because these are fundamental things that aren't happening. Brian Butch will constantly talk about they just need to reverse the ball back around one more time and guys will have open looks. But against Rutgers, let's put this out there, they had open looks. They were not all bad shots being taken by the Wisconsin Badgers. They right now couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. They'd be diving out in someone's driveway and trying to figure out why it hurt so much because they hit the pavement. This team is struggling, and now they've got Ohio State coming in tomorrow night, which will be Tuesday of this week. That's a must. Rutgers became a must, and they absolutely sharded themselves. Now Ohio State's a must at home. The losing cannot continue. This was a team two weeks ago we were lauding as a potential Final Four team. This team loses to Ohio State. This is a team that could fall out of the top 25 after being at number six. Let's remember, when they played Purdue, that was a top 10 matchup. Two against six or seven at the time, whatever it was. This team needs to figure it out. This is a team that's got absolute potential. They have all of the elements to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. 
but they ain't going to do it if they're turning the ball over and if they can't start hitting some shots. So we'll wait and see what the Badgers do against Ohio State at home. For Marquette, they continue to roll. A nice win at home on National Marquette Day this past Saturday as the number seven team now in the country. The Marquette Golden Eagles take down St. John's 86-75. to Now on Tuesday, they'll head to Butler. Butler for Marquette has been troublesome. It's one of those venues that they struggle a little bit when they go on the road. So we'll have to see how life goes there. And then the one I think we're all going to be waiting for is next Saturday at 2 o'clock. They'll travel to UConn to take on the number one team in the country. So we'll get, again, a top 10 matchup. And this is a Marquette Golden Eagle team that was highly successful early on in the season against top-ranked teams. Let's see how they do against UConn because, quite honestly, I could see Marquette and UConn battling it out for the Big East Championship and to see who gets, in essence, the higher seed moving into March Madness. Let's face it, we've got two teams right now in Marquette and Wisconsin that will be in the dance. It's all a matter of seeding. UWM or UW-Green Bay, they've got to win the horizon. And a shout-out to UW-Green Bay and the turnaround they've had. Um, they're, they're playing some really good basketball. I know uh, we're about two weeks away, I think, uh, when Green Bay comes to play UWM at Panther Arena. That should be a good one. You need to pack that place uh, for that particular game because that's one of those interstate rivalries. Um, that people should be supporting. But Green Bay really doing a magnificent job. What a turnaround Sundance Wicks has done up there uh, in Packerland in getting that team uh, back on the map, so to speak. That's a team that has been really down in the dumps for quite a few years. And what Sundance Wicks has imposed on that team, rebuilt the culture, what he's doing from an X and O standpoint, has been nothing shy of magnificent. So one of those two, if they're going to get in, it's going to have to be through, obviously, the Horizon League tournament. And then, not only that, then we focus on the Division Three side of things, and we've got teams like Platteville and Whitewater um, that have an opportunity to get to the dance on the Division Three side. So I guess, long story short, we're really getting into an exciting uh, period of time when it comes to college basketball here in southeastern Wisconsin and the entire state for that matter. Before we get out of here, we've got to give a shout out to the Milwaukee Admirals. 14 in a row. This team has not lost since New Year's Eve. That's the last time this team has lost. So congratulations to the Milwaukee Admirals. I hope people are now starting to wake up to what professional hockey is here in the city of Milwaukee and get out and support. I know they had a nice crowd on Saturday because Cheap Trick was there for the post uh, the post game concert, which is great. But let's hope that some of those fans that were there on Saturday now become recurring fans because that's a team right now that I think deserves a little bit more publicity here locally for what they're doing in the AHL. I'd love to talk more about the Admirals if I knew more about hockey. Ah, you know, I know you got to put the, the puck in the net and some of the calls. I'm, I just don't have the nuance of the game, I guess, the way I should. But getting out and supporting and and realizing that what we have is a team that 
could potentially bring another championship here to the city of Milwaukee. we got to get out and do so. All right, let's wrap up this edition of the 414 Sports Podcast presented by Sewer Ninjas and driven by Mako of New Berlin. Have yourselves a great week. I hope the hangover isn't too deadly after after the Super Bowl and that you'll be functional as the week moves on. We'll talk to you next week. I'm Don Wachillas. Take care.